the Gilda's maximum lawyers community of legal entrepreneurs who are taking their businesses and lives to the next level. As a Guild member, you'll build relationships, be held accountable, and learn strategies specifically designed to get you unstuck and accelerate your plan for growth. Members are also granted exclusive access to masterminds hosted around the country. Our next event is coming up, and we're heading to Scottsdale, Arizona. There's something truly magical about the power of these in-person connections where real-time breakthroughs happen. Picture this. You're surrounded by like-minded law firm owners tackling your business and mindset challenges together. The energy is electric, the insights are transformative, and the results are game-changing. Investing in yourself is the best decision you'll ever make. The knowledge, strategies, and breakthroughs you'll gain are priceless assets that will supercharge your practice and propel you forward. Join the Guild and secure your ticket to Scottsdale at the best possible price by visiting maxlawevents.com. Run your law firm the right way. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Maximum Lawyer Podcast. Your hosts, Jim Hacking and Tyson Mutrix. Let's partner up and maximize your firm. Welcome to the show. This is the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. I'm Jim Hacking. And I'm Tyson Mutrix. Welcome to the show. Tyson, good to hear from you. Good to hear from you. I'm excited. You've had some busy weeks. You settled a big case and you got some things moving, don't you? Got a trial win, got the mediation, got to settle the case. And yeah, it's been a busy month. So luckily things are going to slow down a little bit, hopefully, but not, not business-wise, but just kind of slow down in general so I can get some more stuff done. So, But you, you've been busy too. You've been traveling. Yeah, I did some traveling and signed up some new cases. It's been uh, very interesting. The Website has really taken off. I've gotten a lot more cases from YouTube. I got hired yesterday for a couple from North Carolina. They had a case that needs to be appealed. So it's been pretty exciting. Lots of interesting work around here. I want to bring up something and I'll let you introduce the topic, but something about the videos. You you and I both do them. We think that they're very valuable. And the topic came up as to, you know, why I do them. And I said, part of it's getting, we get a bunch of leads. Both of us, I think we do from YouTube videos, but it weeds out clients. I was telling my running partner, it weeds out clients. And he's like, well, how? And I said, well, they watch the videos. I tell them what good cases are, what bad cases are. And something that's also interesting is I get cases that other people turn down because, for example, one of them is the pay to play statute in Missouri, where there's certain exceptions. You know, if you don't have insurance in your auto accident, your recovery can be limited. But there are certain exceptions to that. And I explain the exceptions in one of my videos. And I get so many calls and so many cases from that one video. I've got a few of them, those few videos. It's really incredible how you're able, it gives you that advantage over other people, but it also weeds out bad cases. So you don't have to take those phone calls on a regular basis. And sort of piggybacking on that, because this isn't even our topic for today, but the, the value I think in the videos too comes from not having to explain the same things over and over. That if people have watched your videos, they have a good sense of sort of the issues related to their type of case and, and you've already educated them especially if you put it into an email sequence where once they sort of raise their hand and you start teaching them about their issue, it really helps magnify or uh, multiply yourself so that you don't have to do it all every single time you meet with somebody. And I'm going to make you tell the story about the guy that you met and he met you for the first time, but he thought he knew you. I'm going to make you tell that story and then introduce the topic. So I really, I don't know how you do this, but I really like to go into a consult completely cold. I don't like to have any preconceived notions. I might have a general idea of what the topic is, 
but like I don't prepare for it much other than we are so opposite on this. Really? We're so opposite. Yes, yes, so opposite. But anyways, go ahead. I think that's what sort of tracks our approach to things too. I mean, you're pretty, you know, type A and anal and and I think I like to sort of just go with the flow and see what happens. But anyway, so I never know what to expect when I walk into an interview. And this particular time I walked in and this guy jumped up and he started shaking my hand and he leaned back and he looked at me and he was like, It's so interesting to see you live and in person. I said, what do you mean? He said, oh, he said, well, I've watched about 20 of your videos about asylum. And he had driven from Topeka to hire us. And he wrote us a check on the spot for $8,500 to handle his asylum and deportation case. That video was working for me at night, you know, or when I was working, that's something that, you know, can work 24 seven. And And I think it really helps build rapport with people. And it does that magical thing of getting them to know, like, and trust you. They can tell your personality. They can tell your temperament. I've had people comment on YouTube that my videos, some of my videos are a little boring. Um, But, you know, I'm about giving the information and and letting the flair sort of go by the wayside. I haven't gotten any of the boring comments yet, but I'm sure I will at some point. I actually avoid the comment section unless I don't like to read the comment section. That's generally a good idea. But one thing I've been noticing with the YouTube videos is that people sort of surprisingly, like people say, and it's, you know, it's tagged as their Google identifier. It says like, I'm here out of status or I'm getting divorced from my wife. I'm like, dude, why are you putting that on YouTube? <laughs> I send them a message and I say, you need to take it off there. And then they, then they text me back. Why did you take that off? And I said, because you shouldn't put that out in the public. That's good. That's good advice. Good legal advice. So our topic for today is whether or not it is okay for a lawyer to view their law firm as a business. And I know that you and I both have pretty strong feelings on this topic. I think it's something that is mildly addressed in law school. I think that when I was in law school, you know, back in the 90s, this was about 10 years after, or maybe 15 years after, they started letting lawyers even advertise. And I think that for a long time, many lawyers sort of viewed the operation of a law practice as a nuisance and that just something that had to be done so that they could get their clients' legal work done. But I think that people have really started to view law firms as a business. I think as someone who operates a company that employs other people, that we have lots to learn from other industries. And I think that you become a better lawyer when you operate a business in a strong fashion. And obviously, there's you and I are both going to agree on this. I think almost 100% of everything that we say on this, but it is really interesting. And it's kind of the old guard versus the new guard, but it's really still surprising to me. I know a lot of young attorneys that they still they put all of their their eggs in one basket. And what I'm talking about is they work exclusively on on building their skills, which that's great. That's great if you're just going to work for somebody, but if you're going to have your own firm. That's not good at all for you because you can be the best attorney in the world, but if you have zero clients, guess what? You have no cases to work on to be the best attorney in the world, so it doesn't matter how great you are. I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I go to speak at SLU and Wash U, one of the first questions I ask is, what's the most important part about being an attorney? And you get so many responses, you know, you know, taking care of the clients and making sure you're ethical and whatever, whatever else, they'll give a variety of of answers, but they never say getting the client through the door or getting clients or anything like that. And really 
it, whenever I see the teachers kind of cringe whenever I say it, but whenever I start to explain it, they start to get it because it's no, the most important thing is getting the clients through the door because you can't do anything else, not not a dang thing else without getting them through the door. So you have to get your business side in order before you can get the legal side in order. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time, you and I talking, even on this podcast about the need to br- develop business and bring in business. And I think that's an important topic that we sort of covered, but I think just talking about the nuts and bolts of, you know, QuickBooks and payroll and hiring. And these are all things that if you're going to have staff, if you're going to have support for your team, then you need to learn these skills. And and this has been probably the hardest thing for me as a lawyer who opened up my own firm is to learn. You know, I was an arts and science major. I don't have an MBA. I don't have a strong management practice or, you know, skill set. And I've really had to sort of grow in this area. And I think there's something to be said for getting help. You know, I've had a support staff person from the beginning. I've had a part-time online digital bookkeeper. And that those have all been things that are not my strong suit. And I know that in order for the firm to operate effectively, those things need to be tended to. There are so many different components to running the business and you know, bringing in new clients is just one part of it. That's the thing I think you and I like to talk about the most, but there is the part, you know, there's, there's actually there's something I'm going through right now where I've got to add another staff member and it is one of the worst things to do. I am so terrible at hiring people, not hiring people, but at going through this process and narrowing down the people because you're going through the resumes and cover letters and everything else. I, and I posted a job yesterday at 8.29 a.m. And by the end of the day, I had 53 people that had applied. And so now I've got to, at some point, I'm probably going to shut it off because I'm going to get so many applicants and actually narrowing it down from the number of applications and resumes and everything down to actually a set of people that you have to interview and then actually interviewing them and then hiring them. I'm terrible at that process. I don't know how you are at it, but I'm, I'll be honest with you. I suck at it and I don't know how to outsource that because you have to, you have to interview them I and mean, you have to meet them, but I don't know. If you have any suggestions on how to make that part easier, that'd be great. But I don't like going to those companies that Robert have. For some reason, I've got this deep down, just I despise companies like that. For some reason, I don't know why. They're probably good companies, but I just hate having to pay someone to then, they, they take a cut of whatever my employee gets. I just don't like that idea. But Why are you terrible at this? Um, it's just because the last time I had to do this, I didn't even, I didn't hire one person from the people that I looked through the resumes or went through the interviews. The Every one of the people that I interviewed were terrible. I thought I'd done this great job. I had this great system, I thought, of narrowing down who I liked, who I didn't like. And then I, I interviewed the people, and every single one of them was terrible, just terrible. And so I don't know. I don't know why I'm bad at it. It's just that it's the breakdown from the getting them from the applications to the to the interviews. I'm just bad at it. You know, I have often thought that hiring, and I don't want to spend too much time just on hiring, but I've often thought that hiring is sort of a crapshoot. You know, there are times where you meet people and you think they're going to be total rock stars, but they just happen to be good at doing interviews. You know, and so I always try to hire for optimistic people who've had to overcome things, who have a bent towards dealing well with the public and sort of a positive attitude and who want to win and hustle. Those are sort of the things that I look for, but you know, you're right. It's hard to find all that or to, to suss all that out during the interview process or the hiring process. 
right? You're talking about just payroll, handling payroll. You're talking about, you know, there's the inter- interviewing process, obviously. There's the day-to-day operations of just receiving money and depositing in the bank account, stuff like that. There's all the tax documents that you have to make sure you secure and put in the right place and give to your accountant. And there's just so many different components to it. You're juggling so many balls. And I think that's something that you and I have discovered over time is and something you kind of hinted at when it comes to the payroll and handling the money is having a bookkeeper, you have a virtual bookkeeper. I don't, I haven't gotten to that point yet, but there are certain things that you can just, some people call it outsourcing, uh, virtual assistants, whatever, that can help ease that pain because it is a pain for attorneys. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about living in this connected world. I mean, you use all kinds of outsourced stuff and there's lots of aspects to running a law practice that you can do um, virtually or with assistance from people that you don't necessarily have to hire as a full-time employee. You know, and honestly, I think a big part of that came from being in the military for me because it's a, it's really about delegation. You know what I mean? It's about taking the things that you probably should not be doing and giving them to the people that should be doing them and then kind of spreading out the things that need to be done in a way. So just it's a lot of it's just delegation. I think we talked about another podcast. There's more to that. There's the automation. There's the elimination part of it. There's also the delegation. But a lot of the stuff that absolutely has to be done, you don't have to do as the attorney. It's just delegating it out. That's very key. I mean, I'm big on automation. I think I'm bigger on automation than you are, but that's the stuff. That's the really easy, simple stuff. But it's the delegation, I think, is the most important part of just getting those things off of your desk, giving them to someone else that's capable of doing them. It's, it's, it's key. That's funny that you brought up the military because my wife, Amani, sat through your talk with uh, Chris Finney this year. And when she came home, she, I have to say, was impressed by what you said. And she talked about how much you like systems. And she said, well, of course, you know, he was in the military. So, you know, I think... You think that you do have a good mindset towards that. We're made up of our backgrounds and our backgrounds really kind of define us in a way and they make us who we are. And so it's it's something that I've picked up and I've, I've used and I like. And so it's, I mean, the systems are just important in general. I think anybody can, can benefit from using systems. We can probably expand upon systems at some other time. But what are, what are some of the big pain points that you've gotten just running the business? Well, luckily, at the present time, I have a lot of good support staff. So everyone on our team, we're all sort of on the same page and have a good positive group. So that that's really been a positive. I guess one of the hard things lately is just keeping track of all the cases and keeping our clients happy. I did let go of two clients last week. And maybe that's a topic for next week is, you know, when to part ways with a client. I remember at the earliest possible point <laughs> is the answer to that. You and I went. Yeah. And we can talk about um, not only letting go of them, but not hiring them or not allowing them to hire you in the first place. You and I have been to the Missouri small firm and solo conference many times. And I'll never forget that I went to a session one time. It was the most packed session I've ever seen. And it was how to ethically fire your client. Um, so I think that'd be an interesting topic, but so those are, you know, trying to identify and assess clients and their cases at the outset. That's been something that we've sort of been working on here. Trying to avoid mistakes is always something that we're trying to, you know, cause with us, we're always trying to make cases go faster and we learn and we, we learn from one case and try to use the information that we learn about how the immigration service or the state department handles things we try to improve it for the clients behind. And that sort of happened this week. Well, you filter whenever 
calls come in, you actually feel through them more than I think I do. You you have your staff, they before it gets to you, it's it's whittled down to a pretty good case, isn't it? I don't think I ever talk on the phone, Tyson. I really I mean I So you've you've eliminated that completely. I think I talk on the phone. I probably make two phone calls a day. You know, unless it's like a Skype new client consult, which I liken to a you know a, a someone coming in the office. I really don't have random phone calls. I deal a lot by email and my clients don't necessarily expect me to call them back. Um, I usually, you know, it takes a lot to get through to me on the phone. I can always get through. I've got the secret bad phone line. Oh yeah, you do. Hey, I want to bring this talk back to something that I started off at the beginning. And that is this idea of giving ourselves permission to run it like a law firm or to run our law firm like a business. And I think that's a really key concept. And we sort of glossed over and said, oh, it's old school versus new school. But I think I think it's different than that. I think it's more than that. I think that you and I talk to a lot of lawyers and a lot of them spend a lot of their time working on their cases and in their business, in their law firm, moving cases. And I think that because of those three years that you have it pounded in your head that you're a professional, you're an attorney, you're a member of the bar, I think that there really has to be a mindset shift away from this sort of theoretical academic idea of the law and that the attorneys who are able to accept that and understand that that's an important aspect of practicing law, that there is the the, the legal skills and the, the litigation or the other you know, processing of the, your type of legal matters is one thing. But I think that it's, it's almost like a muscle or a skill that needs to be developed. And I think that starts with allowing yourself to do it and to acknowledge that, that that's a skill. What do you think about that? I think there's a lot of truth to it. And it's interesting because it's multi-layered. So it's not only attorneys as, as a profession, but just from our focus groups, I can tell you, our masterminds, I mean, that when we would talk to these attorneys, they would say, well, I'm different because I do trusts, you know, I, so my practice area is different from personal injury. So it's got to be different and we have to do things different. So I think you're right. It is an industry as a whole, but then even once we get past that layer, it's hard to get through to these attorneys that it is still a business even, and they want to say, no, I do something, I do it different. My practice area is different. We have to do it this way. We can't run it like a business. So you have to break through multiple layers to get through to people. And you're right. It's got to be a mindset shift. I think that's true in a lot of things. And what we do in general is in running a business is just changing your mindset on things. But really getting past the, you know, this is an academic profession where, you know, we got to focus on the law primarily and all that. I think you're right. I think you got to get past that and change your mindset. And I think you probably... Prior to running your firm and wherever you worked for firm before, I think you were probably more in that other mindset, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. I don't think I've ever been in that mindset. So I'm just curious what it took to get from there to where you are now. Well, I mean, I think the one one big part of it is not wanting to be dependent on other attorneys for your legal work. And, you know, that's sort of where it started with me is that I, I loved the guys that I worked with. They were very good. But we had a limited number of clients and I was worried that if something ever happened to those clients that in my mind, the only safety was having my own client base. And so I didn't want to be 55 or older trying to develop clients um, for the first time. So I think that 
you know, it's a learning curve. You know, there's a lot to learn when you go out on your own. But I think that it does definitely start with that idea of, you know, it's okay to make money as a lawyer. It's okay to make a lot of money as a lawyer. It's a roller coaster and you've got to have the stomach for it. And you got to be, you know, it's not for everybody. I definitely think it's not for everybody. I think that the kind of people that we're trying to reach with this podcast and with the masterminds and the other thing we do is to try to identify those attorneys who, who get what we're saying, who understand, you know, that it, it doesn't have to be, you know, a drudgery. It doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be done in solitude. You know, owning your own firm, especially if you're the only attorney, you know, it can be a pretty lonely place. And to have a place for other lawyers to, to get together with like-minded people who view it as a business, who are optimistic and who see opportunities. In a, you know, my son is starting high school and there's a book that I might have talked about on here called Mindset. And they talk about having an open mind and a closed mind. And I think that the, you know, I'm different. My pra- That would never work in my practice area. That's a closed mindset. And what we're looking for are people with open minds, open with all the possibilities that are out there. I think there really is no cap on what any attorney can do in, when it comes to business. I think that the only limitations are those that we place upon ourselves and that if we're not Moving forward, um, we're stagnant, and I and I really encourage people who sort of get this message to stay with us and to reach out to us and you know sort of join us on this adventure that you and I have started a while back towards you know building something real and big and fun and exciting. Can I say something else too? I want to say something else. Get over your ego. Not you. I'm talking about in general. There's one person in particular, but this is a this is a common problem. He does DWIs, and I'd probably consider him a legal purist. And we talked about automation once, and he said, well, I can't do that because I do DWIs. Well, I also do – not anymore, but I was doing DWIs. And I automated the vast majority of the DWI process. It's just a simple – with pleadings, phone calls, all that kind of stuff, it was tasks, it was automated. And it's like I'm different because you know, I'm a legal purist. I focus on the law and all that. Get over your ego. Yeah. Get over it. I'm a legal artistry. That's what they view it yeah. as. Get over yeah. it. Get over yourself. It's You're not that great, okay? You're still running a business. The most important part is running the actual firm, running the business. So that's a big part of it. All right, brother. We're out of time. We're going to have to do our hacking's hack and Tyson's tip. All right. Go for your hack because I think my tip's going to be applicable to today. So go ahead. So my hack comes from our friend Jim Manning. Um, it's a book that he recommended to me that he read and it's called the ultimate sales machine by a guy named Chet Holmes. Now I really don't like the title. I don't like the title at all. I think it's sort of cheesy and salesy and just, I don't know. It just sounds sort of over the top, but man, there is more practical advice on bringing in business than in any book I've ever read. It's all about systems. It's all about maximizing, you know, client retention efforts and client obtaining efforts. It's just a fantastic book. I've been listening to it in the car. I'm just about finished with it. And I really think, you know, you and Jim and I have our weekly meeting. I really think that we could just, if we could implement 75% of what's in that book in each of our companies, I think we would be lights out so far ahead of everybody else. It, It really like packages all the good advice that I've been hearing for the last five years into one concise book. That's really good. And I've, I've never read it because I've always kind of found him to be kind of cheesy and corny. And so I, so you're saying it's good though. 
You like it. It's Chet Holmes. Yeah, he's he passed away from leukemia a couple of years ago. But, right. And, and the audiobook is great. And I've watched some of his speeches since then. The dude is phenomenal. Who's his partner or his former partner? He had a partner. I can't think of his name. He worked for this guy named Charlie Munger, who was partners with Warren Buffett. Gotcha. That's what And so he that's sort of how he became famous is really just I think he took six or seven of Charlie Munger's businesses and made them all multi-million dollar businesses within like a year or two. He's just phenomenal. That's incredible. Mine is either I get this from you or John Fisher. I don't know which one recommended this, but it's great. It's the 12 week year. It's by Brian Moran and Michael Lennington. It's a very good book. It's breaking your basically your year into 12 weeks at a time. And they get you to get away from the whole idea of annual thinking. It's really about breaking things down. You get so much more done in those 12 weeks. Uh, it's about goal setting. There's a lot of different things to it, but it's a really good book. I don't know if you've read it or not, but no, that wasn't for me. It must have been John. So when I finish this one, I'll read that one. It's really great. It's it's. it's I actually, I I adopted some of John's goal setting approaches, and it was based upon the 12 week year. And so then um, I, I read the book, and it really is great. It really simplifies things, and it really makes a lot of sense because it talks about the idea of setting all, all these big goals at the beginning of the year, and then by November, you're rushing to get them done, and some of them you just push away because you know there's no way you're going to get them completed by December, and then you have this big push again in January, but you don't get them done, and so it's just a bad way of doing things, and they, they get you to not even think about the whole annual thinking part of it. That sounds great, brother. All right. So if you liked our podcast, please give us a review on iTunes. It really helps to help us spread the word. And if you know any other lawyers or people working in the legal industry who would enjoy our podcast, please pass it along. Tyson, we'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks, boss. See you guys. See you. Thanks for listening to the Maximum Lawyer Podcast. To stay in contact with your hosts and to access more content, go to MaximumLawyer.com. Have a great week and catch you next time.